Hey guys, welcome back to Let's Talk About It. I'm Jackie. <laughs> and I'm Megan. And today we're recording. Um, it's weird, guys, because I'm in quarantine. So I'm using my, I haven't gotten a new laptop soon. I'm getting a new one soon. <laughs> that old laptop. And I'm sitting at home and I don't have a mic because everything is at Megan's house and I'm not allowed to go over there. So I'm really sorry for my sound quality, um, for my appearance. If you're watching this on video, (laughs) never apologize for your appearance. It's fine. I know. Um, so anyway, that's, what's been going on and why we haven't podcast episode out because first Megan had COVID earlier true, so I that did. put us behind with we were going to record like so many episodes in advance and then that just didn't happen and then now we're behind and and this is why you record in advance and have a bunch saved up but we did not so COVID because of COVID so this is what y'all get this is this is what you're gonna get right today. now from us today um Hopefully Megan can make my sound sound better. I'll do my best. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you're watching on YouTube, well, I love that. Nothing's going to fix. Nothing's going to fix this. But speaking of everyone, look at this. Look at this. <laughs> if you're on video. Just listening, she's <laughs> pointing to Mary. So today we're talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe, Virgen de Guadalupe, um, and I am pointing to the candle on the back of me that is Virgen de Guadalupe. So that's what, what we're talking that? about today, and today we're recording on the Feast of Juan Diego, and if you're a Catholic, um, I'm assuming you probably know that one, because because Guadalupe is definitely the most well-known Marian apparition because she's Our Lady of the Americas. She appeared in Mexico City and um, yeah I feel like at least most American Catholics know who she is even if they don't know much about her and then know that Juan Diego was the um, peasant man who she appeared to and had the tilma. So that today is his feast day. And Our Lady of Guadalupe is on Sunday, which we'll probably release it then. I haven't told Megan, but she uh, has to release it then. The editor. <laughs> the editor. Uh, well, good the one. to know. Good to know. So uh, this kind of, we were inspired to do this specifically about this apparition of Our Lady because, well, because this week is like all a bunch of feast days to do with Our Lady of Guadalupe. And then also because we went to an event recently, so um, together about Our Lady of Guadalupe, and Megan uh, caused a ruckus, she yelled, she threw things at the event. Interrupted the entire thing and tried to sabotage. It was really disrespectful, and I can't bring her back anymore, so (laughs) just kidding, that didn't happen, obviously. Um, So yeah, today we're going to talk about Our Lady of Guadalupe, Megan, any I like how we so always far? portray that I go and I'm like flipping tables. And in reality, I'm always like, Jackie, don't leave me. Oh no, can I go home now? Like, <laughs> so introverted. <laughs> no, and then as soon as it's over, she's like, I'm gonna go home. I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, so flies. Um, yeah, but if you can't tell, which you can't tell because my camera quality is crap. Actually, I'm wearing my Mary earrings, which Megan actually got me. Um, so I'm telling all of her Protestant 
friends that she spent money on Mary things. Uh, just I letting did. you know. And I'm wearing this Mary shirt. Fake Protestant. Yeah, well, obviously she's going to convert, guys. So, but mm, she won't tell any of you because she can't ruin the podcast. So, can't, yeah, um, do it for the career. Yeah, exactly. And I'm wearing my Mary shirt and I'm drinking out of a mug that says Hail Mary, full of grace, punch the devil in the face, um, which my friend Laura got me. If you're listening, Laura, thanks, girl. Um, <laughs> what are you drinking yeah. out of it, though? Um, alcohol, because I've been stuck in quarantine and I'm not sick at all. I'm just stuck in quarantine. Um, so I'm drinking. Just kidding. It's like this much and I'm not going to drink anymore because what the frick am I going to do? Get drunk on my own? I left that in 2019, folks. In your bedroom? more. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting I mean, on your bed. I wasn't doing that before 2020. Are you kidding? No. No way. No. Um, <laughs> but I generally left drinking at home alone in 2020, but here we are. Thank you, COVID. <laughs> No, but right, for real, so... Jackie and I did go to an event. It was hosted by Iscali, which is a nonprofit that serves the Latino community. And Dr. Timothy Manavina was there. And he was the one who was speaking on the theology of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And so Jackie was going. I tend to be Jackie's plus one because why not? And honestly, I was just genuinely interested. Um, I'm always interested in theology, even if I don't agree with it. Um, because it's fun to learn about and it's fun to listen to and everybody there is super nice so we had a good time um, and we kind of just wanted today to kind of talk a little bit about it um, Jackie is going to share a little bit about sort of um, what Our Lady of Guadalupe and the whole story is and I'm just going to kind of share a few of my reflections from the event itself so I don't know, Jackie, if you want to go into maybe what, what the story is for those who aren't as familiar. Yes. So um, I wrote some notes here. So that's what I'm reading from if you're watching. <laughs> but 1519, the Spaniard uh, Hernan Cortez arrived in Aztec, Mexico with his small band of soldiers. By 1521, Cortez and his local allies had defeated the Aztec Empire. In 1524, 12 Franciscans arrived in the new territory to begin evangelizing the native peoples. They learned as much as they could about their new people, but many of the other Spaniards were cruel conquerors. Um, and they spread a plague. It was just kind of a mess. Um, but 20 kilometers north of modern day Mexico City, um, there was this young um, Spanish peasant and he had a different name before, but then he converted to Christianity with his wife and they took on the names Juan Diego and Maria Lucia. And at this point they were with uh, his elderly uncle, uncle Juan, also Juan, which is important for later in, later in the story. So they were some of the very few natives to convert. Most people there were still Aztecs and they were doing a bunch of crazy things like sacrificing babies to their gods. Um, so as a widower, because after a few years after a conversion, his wife died, uh, Juan Diego would walk every Saturday and Sunday to church for mass and catechesis. And so it goes, uh, in the Catholic tradition, our story is on to Saturday, Saturday, December 9th in 1531, Juan Diego was taking his usual route past the Tepeyac Hill when he heard birds singing in a lovely voice calling his name. When he ran to the top of the hill and came across a beautiful young lady. She was dressed as an Aztec princess and surrounded by light. 
She spoke to him affectionately in his native language. A lady asked Juan Diego to go to the bishop and build a shrine on this hill. Juan Diego went immediately to the bishop and told him what he had seen. The bishop was skeptical, skeptical of the story and dismissed Juan Diego. He returned to the lady and begged her to send someone else, someone more important than him. She told him that he was the perfect messenger and bade him to try again on Sunday. Juan Diego obeyed and returned to the bishop. Bishop Juan was still skeptical and asked for a sign to prove that it was indeed Mary. Juan Diego returned to the lady and told her about the sign the bishop asked for. So she asked Juan Diego to return to her to, to return to her the next day and she would give him a sign to take to the bishop. Juan Diego returned home to discover that his uncle was extremely sick. The following morning, Juan Diego left to go and fetch a priest to administer last rites. He avoided the Tepeyac Hill, hoping to slip past, which I think is hilarious because when my professor explained this to me back in college, he was like, Juan Diego was going to try to slip past who he believed was the mother of God, which if it's someone coming to heaven, you can't really slip past them. It's not really going to work. Um, so the lady met him on the road at the foot of the hill. He told her about his uncle and she promised to attend to the request to take care of him. The lady assured him that she would see that his uncle is healed and send him to the top of the hill to collect flowers. And this was in the middle of winter in December. Um, so there should not have been flowers growing, but there were. And they were Spanish roses. He gathered as many flowers as he could in his little tilma and brought them back to Our Lady. She rearranged the flowers and bade him to go to the bishop and show no one but the bishop himself. Upon arriving at the bishop's house, Juan Diego was made to wait and wait. Some of the attendants were constantly badgering Juan Diego, asking him to show them what was in his cloak. He opened his cloak and they ran to tell the bishop. When the bishop arrived, he opened his tilma, Juan, and out tumbled red Spanish roses. To his surprise, everyone in the room fell down on their knees with the bishop begging forgiveness for doubting. Juan Diego looked at his tilma and, and imprinted was the perfect likeness of Our Lady, which is the image that you see of Our Lady and what Catholics believe the tilma is still the same exact tilma from 500 years ago as what is now in Mexico City uh, that you can go and visit, which hopefully one day I will. And Bishop Juan, after seeing that, immediately began organizing for a shrine to be built on top of the Tepeyac Hill, and Juan Diego returned home to discover his uncle alive and well, having been visited by the lady who told him her name, the perfect virgin, St. Mary of Guadalupe. Juan Diego was given guardianship of the image, which he placed in the new shrine. He lived nearby as a hermit and caretaker of the shrine until his death in 1548. News spread quickly about the miracle, and within 10 years, all 8 million Native Mexicans were baptized and received into the church, which on aver average equals 3,000 people every day for 10 years. A Lady of Guadalupe became a symbol of Mexico and has galvanized and brought together people from all over the world to live and believe in her son. So that is the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe and why um, the Mexican people love Our Lady of Guadalupe so much. And um, a part of how the Catholic Church looks to see if apparitions are true um, is one of the things is to look and see um, the fruits of the apparition. And the reason that it is um, seen as true uh, by the Catholic Church is because there were good fruits. So 8 million people leaving the Aztec religion and becoming Christians would be a reason to um, points to the validity of Our Lady of Guadalupe apparition. Um, and I think something else I really appreciated about um, 
Dr. Matavino's talks and something that I never really thought about, and I think Megan also kind of touches on this, was just how, um, how much this means to the Latino people and how the story shows um, Our Lady lifting up someone that was seen as a peasant and putting him on the same level as the bishop and kind of saying to all of her people and all of God's people, um, even today, that if you're seen as not really worth much, very small, if you're like an, if you're an immigrant in um, Mexico, uh, from Mexico in the United States, that you are still important and God still calls you by name and still gives you a specific role that you are called to fulfill really beautiful. And it also highlights a lot of the ways that God just often elevates the less than we saw in, in the Bible, Moses thinking he's not worth, you know, to go and talk to the Pharaoh because he has a speech impediment and just thinking he's not worthy and very, very similar with Juan Diego. And so it's just a comfort for those that are poor, those that are impoverished, those that even just us normal people who feel like we're not good enough, we all have doubts about ourselves or think that we're not made in the image of God and don't truly believe that. So I think that's something comforting to take um, from this story, especially for the Latino people, which is something that I had just never really thought about not being Latino myself. Um, but Megan, would you like to share um, what you appreciated first from the event? Yeah, I think I would just echo all of that. Um, I think Dr. Mandavino did a really, really good job outlining sort of the cultural significance of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And um, I was already familiar with the story somewhat because the organization that I used to work at, where Jackie and I met, had a maternity home near the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Des Plaines, Illinois. So I was familiar. Um, I've had like acquaintances who are Mexican or Latino who um, have been Protestant or Catholic. And so I was familiar in that sense. Um, but I think he just really highlighted and emphasized the cultural and spiritual significance that this has had on specifically Latino people. And that was really meaningful to hear about. And I think, um, just the message too, that God cares for all of his people, like individually, each person has value. Um, even people who are considered like lowly by the world's standards, God sees as equal with all of his children and has a unique calling and purpose for each one of us. And I think that's a message that can encourage any of us really, but especially people who are and were and still experience unique oppression and poverty and mistreatment due to their sort of status. And I think it's just really important, even if for a reminder for ourselves that each of us, even people that we consider, like we all have someone that we kind of consider less than us in a sense. And just the reminder that in God's eyes, we are all made in his image. We are all his children and we are all uniquely set aside with a purpose. Um, so I thought that message was really, really good and impactful. And I also appreciated there was like a, a Q and A section towards the end and a, an older woman shared how um, it was really significant to her that in the story, the Bishop is, is arrogant and prideful and doesn't believe him and dismisses him because of who he is. And then later in the story, he is humbled and brought down Whereas throughout the whole story, God is elevating Juan Diego and lifting him up. And 
that in the end they're at the same level. And I thought that was really um, interesting and, and really important that once again, even if you are someone who has great knowledge and, um, and all of those things in Corinthians, it says like, that's all a clanging symbol if you don't have love. And I think that's something that they learned at the end of this story too, is just an appreciation for each other. And so that was really awesome. And I really enjoyed kind of getting to be more familiar with that aspect of the story at the event. So I really appreciated that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of the similar, we had very similar things we appreciated about the event. Um, the focus of the event was largely to speak to, um, I think, Latino Catholics, which was the majority of the people at the event. So um, that is also something yet yeah, to keep in mind as we go through talking about this, because I do feel like that was really the main message was why is it so important to the Latino people and what, you know, we just talked about. Um, and yeah, before I let Megan get into maybe some of the other, um, some of her other thoughts about the event, I did also want to point out that something I also really appreciate about the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe is that um, I think it also shows how God specifically reaches out to his people when he knows what will speak to them. So I wanted to point out some things about the tilma, which is the um, image of Our Lady, what Our Lady of Guadalupe is on. And that would immediately resonate with the Aztec people, the people of that time, and they could understand because there are many symbols within that image that point to a lot of different things. And I'll link below to some of these. I'm just going to point out a few of them. Um, but one of them is that she stands in front of the sun, which is kind of counteracting, saying that she's greater than their dreaded sun god, which is what they used to, Aztecs would sacrifice babies to. So kind of coming and saying, no, that's not what you should do anymore. You need to follow Christianity and the religion, um, not of your Aztec gods. Um, just some other things. Um, the stars strewn across her mantle, which saying she was greater than the stars of heaven that they did worship. Uh, that she was a virgin and a queen of the heavens for Virgo rests over her womb and the northern crown upon her head. And she appeared on December 15th, uh, September 12th, 1531, for the stars that she wore are the constellation of the stars that appeared in the sky that day. And then just a couple more things. The black cross on the brooch at her neck is showing that her God was that of the Spanish missionaries, Jesus Christ, not the Aztec gods. And then the most important thing I think about the image is um, her hands are joined in prayer, which is to show the people that she is not another goddess. She is, uh, that's why she appears as a princess and not um, as the exact like Aztec uh, queens or goddesses would appear um, because she's showing that she's not God, that there's someone greater than her. So her hands are joined in prayer. She's looking down. She's not looking exactly. She's showing that she's not some goddess that they should worship. Um, so that's another thing about the image. Um, I think is good to keep in mind um, when discussing Our Lady of Guadalupe because she didn't want it to be mistaken that she was some other goddess that you should be worshiping um, like the Aztec goddess. She wasn't replacing the uh, goddess of the sun that they would worship. She's showing, no, I am lesser than, I'm pointing to God, uh, my son, Jesus. So, and on that point, Megan, you shared what you enjoyed from the event, but 
um, you are a Protestant and we're talking about, first of all, Mary, but we're also talking about an apparition of Mary, which is an entirely extra thing as well. So (laughs) of course we have to be honest and we're here to give you guys the tea. So, um, Megan, can you share what concerned you about the event? Uh, what concerned you about a devotion to not only Our Lady of Guadalupe, but other apparitions as well? Yeah, sure. Um, I know it's like super cliche for a Protestant to have concerns about Marian devotion. Like, wow, be a little original, Megan. Um, but in the spirit of honesty, I did just kind of want to bring up sort of my honest like reflections from the moment and what I was thinking of um, and and sort of the theological issues I have with um, devotion to or following Marian apparitions. And I wanna make it clear that this is not specifically about Our Lady of Guadalupe. If I say Our Lady of Guadalupe or refer to the apparition, it's only because that's the context of what we're talking about, but I'm not specifically targeting that one. I don't, my opinions wouldn't change regarding different ones. Um, So yeah, just wanted to like put that little disclaimer out there. I have no hate towards anyone. Um, But basically I think um, throughout the event, sort of my takeaway was just that it felt like there was a lot of theology and spirituality um, based on this story, this thing that happened. Um, And I'm gonna use the word myth I don't mean that in an offensive way, like it's a fake story or like a made up like Gilgamesh or something. I'm just using like the technical term of true myth. Um, That's what we would say, like Adam and Eve, that's true myth. Um, And there just seems to be a lot of extrapolation taken from this story and applied theologically. And I think that just sort of concerns me because I would just caution anyone, not just Catholics, to be careful elevating true myth to the level of gospel. And I think with Marian apparitions and Our Lady of Guadalupe, like it has become like a huge, huge devotion to the point of this story almost being elevated to gospel and having that equal meaning um, from an outsider perspective. And I also want to be clear that I am not against miracles. I do believe in miracles. I do believe in the miraculous. And this isn't me like coming to argue whether or not the event itself happened. I don't really think we can know if it didn't. I know people argue that it didn't. Um, I don't really think, I mean, it happened what in the 1500s, you know, Mm -hmm. like to say like, oh, we have complete and utter evidence that this was completely made up and didn't happen. Like, I think it's sort of outrageous. Like there's just no way um, to know for sure these things didn't happen. And so I usually with stuff like that, I just err on the side of believing in the miraculous because that's who I am. So my issue is not with Marian apparitions about whether or not they happen or if there's miracles involved. It's more of just the difficulty I have with them being elevated so highly um, when it comes to spirituality. And during the Q&A portion after the event, there was a question brought up about whether or not devotion to like Our Lady of Guadalupe or these other Marian apparitions, if they ever like can replace or complete with compete with Jesus. And I know this is a question that like Catholics here all 
the time and not new, but I didn't feel like the answer was very satisfactory. And I think it is something that because it comes up so much, um, there should be a really good response to it. And I think the answer often given that was even mentioned at this event is, you know, you can never love Mary as much as Jesus can. So don't worry about loving her too much. And I think my issue with that answer, why it doesn't feel satisfactory is that it feels like it's missing the point because that's not the question being asked. Um, We obviously have the capacity to love idolatrously as humans. And the question isn't the level of love, it's the nature of the love. So I can't love people as much as Jesus can. That's just a fact. I also can't love God as much as Jesus can. Jesus is God. Like he has, his love is pure and mine is not. I have the capacity to love purely and impurely. And I just feel like using this logic of like, well, you can't love her as much as Jesus can. Of course not because I'm imperfect and using that logic no one could be an idol in my life. You know, I could never love my husband more than Jesus can. I can love him idolatrously. And so I think it's sort of like a miscommunication or people talking past each other because the question being asked is, is the love in the correct place? And the question being answered or the answer given is just like about the amount of love and not sort of the nature of that love. So I think my question or concern is not so much whether devotion to Mary can lead us to Jesus. I don't think I'm qualified to answer that because it's not part of my faith experience at all. So I'm not going to speak to that, but I think it's legitimate to bring up, can we as sinful people take devotion to an idolatrous place, devotion that is good and pure, and we can twist it and take it into a a place. And I think if the answer to that is yes, that we do have that capability Um, I I wonder where the line is and where that could become idolatrous and what that would look like. Um, Because I think as humans, we have a tendency to take a good thing too far. We see this a lot. And throughout the event, I was just reminded of the story of King Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18, 3 through 4. So it says, he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it. And this bronze serpent is from Numbers 21, 6 through 9, like generations before, like so long, like centuries had passed and it was when God cursed the people he sent down fiery snakes because they were being disobedient and they started dying and they turned to Moses and they repented and they said please save us and Moses prayed to God and God told him to create this serpent put it on a pole and place it in the camp of Israel and whoever looked up to it and believed would be healed And that happened. God miraculously healed people through them looking up to this serpent. And then it's not really ever mentioned again until Numbers or until Second Kings. And we discover it's been around. They kept it. 
and it turned into this shrine, a place they would go and they would burn incense to this pole. So I think it's easy to look at that and see it as the people of Israel creating an idol. I don't see that as what's going on. I think this object could have very well been venerated as a symbol of God's deliverance because that's what happened. And yet King Hezekiah breaks it into pieces and it's said that that was a good thing. And the reason I think this is because the Assyrian representative that comes later and is talking to him accuses him not of destroying idols, but of destroying centers of worship to God. And so I think that they saw this as veneration pointing to God. And my question then is, why did he insist on destroying the bronze serpent, which was a reminder of God's faithfulness? And I think it's because that while they were burning incense before the serpent, intending to worship God, that they were doing this in a manner that he had not commanded them to worship him. And so I think tying this into sort of my thoughts surrounding this event is that I thought my, I think my concern is less over just like Marian devotion in general and more on that I see that it mirrors the progression that this Jewish devotion had taken um, in, in my opinion, that it's just gone too far, that it could have started as a good thing that has been taken to um, a very, very elevated level. And I don't say this as like a gotcha to Catholics, as if I've just come up with something new that there's no response to. Obviously, there's a response. Um, Jackie, I know that you like disagree, like that is normal. And I say this more to bring up, to help further understanding on both sides, because I just see a lot as I'm in these spaces that Catholics get very hurt and offended when Protestants say things regarding Mary um, and their beliefs regarding Mary and question their belief and devotion to Mary. And I see a lot of Protestants responding very strongly and sometimes sinfully to Catholics. And I think what I just have come to reflect upon is that on both sides, people are attempting to worship God in the way that they believe he has asked and the way he believe he, they believe he wants. And for Catholics, they believe that Mary has been given as a way to draw them closer to Jesus. And as Protestants, we feel that it's been taken too far and that it has become elevated into a place it hasn't. And so for Catholics, it is offensive for us to say that devotion to Mary is blasphemous. And for Protestants, it makes sense that we would respond viscerally to things because both sides are attempting to worship God and care deeply about how to worship God. And so I just think that deserves to be acknowledged that, you know, just as I've continued this endeavor through my friendship with you to be more ecumenical and, and just to create understanding on these sides, I think there's a lot that's missed. Um, both sides sort of assume the worst of the other. And I think there's a lot of beauty to be seen in the fact that we are caring deeply about how we approach and worship God. And I think that deserves being set. So 
I say all of that knowing that there are tons of people who disagree with me and that's okay. And I'm not trying to convince anyone, but that was just sort of my reflection is, okay, I see what's going on. Like I see, I, I feel like I can see from both sides better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good perspective to hear um, for Catholics that have not encountered maybe an objection that was charitable um, or from someone that they knew had their, um, had, was saying it in a loving way and had their best interest in mind. Because I think often, and you can see this from both sides, if you're used to getting objections to something from only a hateful place or a very defensive place that you just don't really give much merit to anything they're saying and you kind of- Oh yeah. Um, and so I think it's good to not think um, that all Protestants are merry haters and they're all um, just think we're stupid or something like that, because I think that is often what we do here. Um, and so then, of course, then we react very defensively and then it's just kind of back and forth. It doesn't really get anybody anywhere because it's just people um, acting out of emotion and being very emotionally charged and offended and upset about. And there can be re no real dialogue. Um, I... I think I have a couple of responses just um, to kind of continue the dialogue. I would first say that I, I don't think it is a good answer to the objection or to the concerns to say, oh, you can't love Jesus. You can't love Mary more than Jesus does. I think um, when I hear that as someone that I think has a proper Marian devotion, that makes total sense to me. I get that because of my own spiritual journey, but I don't think it answers the concern. So I do kind of, when people give that as an only answer, I'm like, well, that doesn't really answer anybody's concerns or really help anybody have a better Marian devotion or understand Marian devotion. Um, so I do understand when you're coming from, from there, because I, I don't think that's a satisfactory answer. Um, I think that a lot of this comes down to that we're just coming from very different theolo theologies in a way, um, because it can seem that a lot of Marian theology has been extrapolated from apparitions, but to us, we think that our theology actually was something that was there from the beginning. We think we see it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and so everything that we believe about Mary that we see is almost even just further affirmed in the apparitions, that she's the queen of heaven. We see that that has roots in scripture, um, that seeds of it are there in the doctrine developed, and that it was always there. Um, so, I do think that a lot of spirituality and a way of praying has come from apparitions, obviously, because people, um, I mean, I know personally for me, I find great comfort in the words that Mary said to Juan Diego of let your heart not be disturbed. Am I not here, your mother? So of course that's kind of informed some of my spirituality, but I, we don't base our beliefs about Mary, that she is an intercessor, a mediatrix of graces, that she's queen, that she's immaculate, that she was a virgin. We don't base these things on the apparitions. We see, see them as further affirmation, um, but it's actually not necessary that Catholics have a devotion to any Marian apparitions or even think about them at all, um, which I know is crazy if there's any Latinos here from Mexico hearing that because it's very much <laughs> something that they're raised with and quite and obviously because if they think that Mary came to tell them 
hey, you're important, the Mexican people, they're going to have a great devotion to her, and they do. Um, so that's one point, is I don't think our theology is based on any of these apparitions, and it gets further affirmed by the apparitions and can help increase faith in the beliefs of, that the Catholic Church has about Mary, um, but they're not important. Um, they're not like the most important thing in your faith. I actually was just listening to, we were talking about that video by Father Gregory Pine mm -hmm. and uh, a Protestant asked him uh, in his Q&A, uh, which he also was in quarantine and had COVID at the time, but obviously yeah. sicker than me because I'm totally fine and not sick. And we were like, Father Gregory, like take a coughing. break. I was like, He's like coughing. I'm like, you guys take a break, baby. Like, oh my God. <laughs> um, but someone asked him and said, I'm looking into Catholicism and I'm thinking about potentially converting, but um, how do we know these apparitions really happened? And I just like, that's bizarre to me. And, and he's like, don't let them be a stumbling block to you because they're not the basis of the Catholic faith, like these apparitions. They're really not. Like if you actually look at the theology, the Catholic church, which is also something that Dr. Matt Odina, which I think was probably the most important part of his response to that question, which I think was actually a helpful response, was that um, Our Lady of Guadalupe, like believing it is not necessary to be a Catholic. It's not necessary. Um, and as uh, Father Gregory said, what's important is that you believe in the Trinity, you believe in the incarnation, and then everything else comes from that. Um, so, which is why we can have these yeah, conversations. We're exactly. not like debating whether or not God exists or whether Mary exactly. exists. <laughs> or, well, uh, we were laughing at the comment that someone put that said, there is no proof for Mary's conception. And what they meant was her immaculate conception. But I was like, well, dang it. If Mary's, Mary's mom conceived, never had an ultrasound, can you yeah. believe it? <laughs> if Mary wasn't conceived, then we're all kind of screwed because the basis of this story is that Jesus was born from a virgin mother named Mary. And like, you know, was <laughs> um, that's how he came to us. So we're all in big trouble if Mary was never conceived. But really, it's a damper on the Bible and its um, legitimacy. <laughs> Oh, it's funny. Um, but I do think, yeah, that, that's something to keep in mind is the Catholic Church has made it very clear that um, Our Lady, we do believe in the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe. We think we have very good evidence to believe that. Um, but it's not necessary for salvation. Mary Cumming was not necessary for salvation at all. Juan Diego was not necessary. Like none of this is necessary for it to happen because by the time Our Lady of Guadalupe came, Jesus had already died on the cross. Um, <laughs> right. Jesus, you know, had already won salvation for us. So none of that's necessary. Um, it's just what I think he said, why we love Mary so much is because she is a gift. We don't, we also don't think in our Marian theology, which all of this points to our core Marian theology of that we do think Mary has all of these different roles, but it was only because God has given her those things. You know, she is not necessary for our salvation, but she is a gift to us. And that's why it's so beautiful that we think God has given to us to her as our mother. And that's, um, you know, like it's not, it's not necessary, but it's a very beautiful gift. And the image, which I didn't mention about the Tilma, but uh, she has a black uh, Aztec pregnancy belt on. So she's pregnant with Jesus. So we see it as just as she quite literally brought Jesus into the world through her womb, she's like, she's in this image bringing us Jesus again, because that's her entire role as Catholics. What we base everything on is that Mary brings us to Jesus. And we also think any of the Marian dogmas about her 
go back to Christology, go back to Christ. Um, the things that we believe about Mary point back to Jesus. Um, so I think that's a reason why I am just not concerned about Our Lady of Guadalupe being um, a another servant. Because we think that from the very beginning in the Bible, uh, Mary was always had this special role, special role. And I, at least at the core, we can agree she had a special role in giving birth to Jesus in that way. We see from the beginning that Mary was, she's always like been in this plan that God has had to bring about our salvation, to have that role, not from her own merits, not from anything, but only by grace. And because that's how God wanted it. And so we just see that this as a continuation. Um, do I think that people can have a misunderstanding of Mary if they're not well catechized and cannot understand? Of course, um, in all good things, even if the core doctrine itself, the core dogma itself, the apparition of Mary was sent by God and was true, unfortunately, people can abuse it. And we see that with any good thing that God has given us. Um, so that's why I'd say I don't think veneration of Mary is sinful. Um, I can individuals not understand and have a sinful, um, I wouldn't even say like they're not trying to sin, but they just not, they don't get it. Like they right. just do think that Mary, I'm sure there are people out there that really think that Mary is the one doing these things and they don't see that it's Jesus behind it. But I think that's bad for catechesis. I think that, that's them just not understanding proper theology. Um, and we need to seek to correct that. Um, I, I would, I think the blessed mother would hate that if people were worshiping her and not Jesus, which is why we come back to her image, why she doesn't come as a goddess or a queen. She comes as someone that's looking down and praying. Um, so I think that would be our response. Uh, that would be my response, <laughs> not our response. Our There's collective, probably, collective, church. um, this actually <laughs> I got from the Vatican, um, from Pope, Pope Francis, actually from Mary herself. She just like told me that. And I was like, oh. that's the other um, thing. Mary didn't I, even like show up at the event. I know. I know. I, she was busy. Um, I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. I know. Make so some time girl. I know. I know. I asked her, I sent her a memo, but she just busy. And you know, like she's Jesus's secretary. She's got stuff to do, Megan. So, um, no, that's a whole different story. Everybody begin to that joke because that is hilarious. Mary's secretary, uh, Jesus' secretary. Um, Who's I think Mary's I said <laughs> she probably has one. Joseph. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Poor Joseph. But like, uh, <laughs> the one member of the Holy Family, they're like, Who's that guy? Like, <laughs> the Catholic Church also venerates Joseph. So there's that. You know, we see all everybody. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So I think, I think a lot of it does come back to, but I understand how from a Protestant perspective coming into this, I actually was thinking about that the whole event. I was like, oh my gosh, like a lot of this, like coming from a purely Protestant Protestant perspective, a lot of it just looks pretty wackadoo. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like you're going around with this image and incense. What in the world is going on? Um, and can I say that all of those people prop, no, I don't know their hearts. I don't know what they're, thinking um but i do think that with our lady of guadalupe it's perfectly has its place um and i think it just goes further along with our catholic understanding of mariology which we think points back to proper christology um so i would say that's why it's less of a concern for me but i do i mean i always seek to 
you know, hopefully educate and want everyone to have a proper veneration of Mary. Because yeah, unfortunately we all can in some ways have uh, improper idolatrous love of things. We all have idols in our lives, unfortunately, um, that we need to have broken down. And um, yeah, I don't know. If, Megan, you have any responses to all of that? <laughs> well, also like we're all wrong about something like in this very moment. Like I was just <laughs> laughing with uh, John earlier about like one of the things I'm super excited for when it comes to heaven is just getting to find out like every single thing I was wrong about and being like, wow, I believed this thing my whole life. And turns out the earth was created in a literal seven days or just something, you know, like Us bogus. something. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. I agree. I used creation. It's literally no. Okay. I was trying to think of something. Yeah, whatever. But like just getting to heaven and being like, oh God, I totally thought this, but it turned out this. And just that, like the Lord loves us through that and has grace and mercy for us in our humanness. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think with all of this, I don't say this is like a judgment. These are just purely my reflections. And um I'm also not making a judgment about whether or not true devotion to Mary can lead you to Jesus or not, because I think clearly it does. And I think, um, once again, it's just, it's not a part of my faith background. So it's going to feel super foreign to me and not make any sense. And so I, I have to kind of go into it, like laying down my guards and being like, okay, don't be freaked out. Um, but I also think Catholics, um, it's the same when it comes to interacting with certain Protestants as well. And yeah. I, I think we all kind of guards that we're a little more blind to. So it's just a good reminder when it comes to like being ecumenical and, and in, engaging in those spaces. Um, it's challenging, but it's like super worth it. And that's why I'm happy you bring me to those events. I'm never like mad to go or something. I just find them super interesting and a great opportunity to be challenged and brought into community with other believers who believe differently than me. But at the end of the day, we all love Jesus. We all love God. And we believe this core same things. And who knows when we get to heaven, we'll be straightened out. Oh, well, certainly. Well, I mean, a lot of things. Guy's going to be like, Jackie. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, um, no. Yeah, I think we all need to be challenged in our beliefs in some way, because I mean, I know I definitely have been and just gotten a greater perspective on other Catholic traditions because before I think it was really easy for me to just not understand objections to Marian theology because in some ways I did because I even had them myself when I started looking into uh which is funny you said true devotion because that's the uh book St. Louis de Montfort wrote it's called true devotion um about Marian consecration and Marian devotion and uh even I did at first just as someone that was raised a Catholic because I'd never seen the I'd never seen the depth of our Catholic theology surrounding Mary and I just was kind of like what mm, the the heck are you guys talking about? Um, 
And I, you know, but I just also have had different, you know, experiences. Like I very much think I have encountered Mary and her intercession in my own spiritual journey and in my life. So of course, when I come into this stuff, I'm just like, woo, like, I'm just, it's so comfortable to me. It, I understand. I feel like I understand it. It resonates with me. And then coming from a different perspective though, like I was thinking as I was there, I was like, this is so, it'd be so bizarre to make it like, especially, uh, Dr. Madovina showed a video at the beginning, um, which, you know, for him, I think like he wasn't, you know, Megan was the only Protestant there. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And most people there with kudos to her for showing up. Most Protestants would be like, heck no, I'm not showing up for that. That's weird. Um, yeah. Kudos to her for showing up. But the majority of people there, all of them were Catholic and then most of them were Latino. So when they see those things, it's not weird to them. It's not bizarre to them. That's the audience he was speaking to. But the whole time I'm thinking, you know, he showed this video of people going all the way from, I forget, somewhere in Texas to Mexico. I forget. They were traveling though for like- No, it was like was it? Mexico City to New York or something New York, crazy. that's what it was. They were going, it was, like but it was something like way. insane. Yeah. And they were going with the image of Our Lady, an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And as they were going, you know, they were running, they had it in a truck, they would go up to it, touch it and venerate the image, which also there, there's a disagreement between, so there's just a lot of different theology and things, roots that it goes back to, like venerating images, putting incense with images and that kind of thing. Um, they were, you know, touching the image, crying, kissing the image and all these different things. And if you're coming from a Protestant perspective, all of that in general is just very bizarre. And I do understand how it can be kind of like off-putting and seem like, does look like idolatry, does look um, something sinful or something just like, what are you doing? Um, so I, I understand that. I think it's important for Catholics when entering into these conversations to not come into it and be like, why, are, like, what do, you, why do you hate Mary? Like, why don't you get it? <laughs> why are you such a hater? Um, because that's often sometimes the response I get from Catholics when I share things that like Protestants have said to me, they're like, why do they all hate Mary so much? I'm like, okay, they don't hate Mary. Some of them might, but like, they don't hate Mary. They just don't. They also have a concern of properly worshiping Jesus. And well, I think you brought up this point earlier, like there's reactionary people on both sides. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be people that are like, you know what? we do worship Mary, yeah. the goddess, just because they're like so fed up with like opposition that they're going to just like go all out. And then the Protestants will be like, yeah, you know what? We hate Mary and she didn't even exist, you know? So I think on, on both sides, we need to watch that we're not just like falling into an extreme position because we're mad at the other side or we want to look so much different from them. Because I think with Protestants a lot, like they're worried about any sort of Marian imagery because they're like, oh, that feels Catholic. And like, guys, it's like, okay, if there's similarities here with Catholicism, like we're all Christians, you know? So I think you brought up that point earlier too. Like we're all just kind of prone to reactionary positions when we feel defensive and we got to watch that. Oh yeah. And I mean, I have had that like inside of me, that initial thing to just be very defensive and be like, well, you just don't get it. Like you just don't get it and you never will. And you know, you're missing out or like that kind of thing. Where I would, you know, <laughs> I'd be like, well, you still don't have Mary as your mother. So sad for you. Like that. And that's not like, that's not the position most, at least most Protestants I've encountered are not coming from a hateful place or coming from that place. Um, but it's easy to be, yeah, very defensive. 
And I think we have to be more understanding of where the other side is coming from and just try to understand. And also, like you said earlier, to, earlier, to think the best of the other side. Because um, it's not like we're coming into it like, I'm going to rip down Our Lady of Guadalupe and show all these people that their devotions are fake and they all have a false faith. <laughs> I don't know, you know. Um, which you probably will encounter some people that do have that on either side, do really have that in mind. But those people are not really worth like having a real dialogue with. Right. You can't really have one. So I think it's it's arguing in good faith. That's like my new pet peeve is people who don't argue in good faith. Um, because arguing in good faith means you have you believe the best about the person when it comes to their intentions. You're you you can't walk into it thinking like, oh Jackie's trying to trick me. She's trying to deceive me she's coming up with all these lies like we're not gonna get anywhere like I have to believe the best about you that this is what you truly believe that you are sincere and that you have good reason for it and I should listen to those reasons and hear what you have to say and and understand and seek to attempt to understand and clarify and things like that so I've heard people on both sides oh boy well also I'm Protestant and we have like a million denominations so I argue with people every day yeah, about everything. So I'm super used to it. And Mary's, uh, Mary, I just called you Mary. Uh, and Mary, uh, no, I'm and Megan is non-denominational. So she just made up everything she believes anyway. Just her That's own true. denomination. I'm she just created. a floater. So I take my favorites of like all of them and just like put them all together. No, it's not true. She's a part of a church and like, you know, they have their beliefs. So it's a real um, church. Don't worry. Yeah, it's a real church. It's not Megan's church, like in her house. Um, <laughs> Megan's house church <laughs> members Megan pastor Megan <laughs> <laughs> your husband's like not even in it it's like it's, it's just just you. me and Jesus baby <laughs> uh yeah so I mean I hope if you were listening to this whatever side you're coming from that you have a better understanding of um where each side is coming from and what their concerns are and um yeah, I don't know. I don't think you have many like Protestants that would go to an Our Lady of Guadalupe event that was for Catholics, specifically Latino Catholics. Um, I had fun. They gave me red wine and lots of Mexican food. It was a great time. Uh, this is true. They gave us like cheese cake. And, oh, it was so good. Uh, just like, like a lot like of bean soup thing. I could have eaten three of those. Really good. Um, and it was all, it was not free. We had to pay to go to the event, but um, we got to see Dr. Matt Ovinia, who we uh, first saw on uh, Gospel Simplicity, Austin Suggs channel. So it was really nice to meet him. He was very friendly. He was really nice. Oh, yeah. Um, he's, he seems like a very uh, ecumenical kind of guy. I don't know. He's, he's a professor at Notre Dame. He's like the chair there. No big deal. No big um, deal. He was trying to get me to go there. So, I mean, we'll see. Um he was low-key trying to get me to go there so yeah like, I, he wanted us all to go there and i was fan. like we cannot first of all cannot afford that we cannot go <laughs> drop our lives i'm so sorry uh <laughs> um but yes so yes there's a lot to learn about our lady of guadalupe if you have any interest in that there's more you know there's i when we first started to look at this episode um, there's, there's a lot of debate that goes on about, um, the historical background of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So there's a lot to research if you would, what either side you're coming into. Um, there's a lot about the Telma itself, um, that I, I mean, I believe in all the miracle, the miraculous things surrounding it. We think it's the same Telma from 500 years ago. Um, 
and a lot of scientists have done studies on it. Uh, there's just a lot to read. So if you're interested, I think you should, but there's too much to talk about. And um, the historical stuff gets pretty complex and it's just very muddy. A lot of people fighting uh, over what happened. So <laughs> um, I think with, as goes with most things in history, because history is not really just like some objective. I mean, it is objective, but there's a lot of arguments over. It's a, uh, as your I'm spiritual director, Brooks says, uh, inherently probabilistic. <laughs> oh, mm -hmm. oh, yes. Whatever that means. No. One time we'll have him on the channel, maybe. Pretty anti-being on YouTube. Yeah, or, he is. Yes. So uh, maybe one day. But until then, it'll just be Jackie and I. Oh, doing with our Zoom wisdom our and great knowledge of theology. <laughs> so you're welcome. Yeah. We're experts, obviously. I know, obviously. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> well, Jackie... Thanks for dragging me, screaming to this event. I dragged her by the hair, literally. Which is funny because I actually drove us there. So yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Uh, yes, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, Megan will be releasing this on the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, maybe or Monday, the day after. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see how my weekend goes. You know. Yeah, I know. Um, I'll be here if you need me. <laughs> Just quarantining. <laughs> I will be here until Tuesday. So, <laughs> well, guys, thanks for listening or watching or whatever. Those are the only two options. Either one. Thank you for being here. And yeah, this was uh, us doing an example of talking about it, you know, because. I know from my super calm demeanor, you would never guess this, but I was super anxious earlier today that I would come off like a hater and that Jackie would stop being my friend and my life would end. Um, but that didn't happen. And so talk about it. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> oh boy. 